Well, good morning, Foundation family. Tell you what, uh, we really, 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 really appreciate uh, all the prayers that you sent up for us on our mission trip to Philadelphia. Uh, we had an incredible trip, most definitely. Uh, God stretched us in some mighty ways, but I tell you what, we definitely felt his mighty presence as well. Uh, so we do want to thank you for all of the many prayers. Uh, we felt those prayers as we got a chance to minister all over the city of Philly, as well as even beyond, like you saw in some of those pictures, into the countryside too. We had so many different opportunities just to love on people, to really minister the gospel to people, to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ through our love and our actions. And we saw, I know, at least 37 people that came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. So we give all praise to the Lord for that. We also got a chance, to, as you saw with the countryside, we got a chance to go out to a horse farm, believe it or not. Uh, it was about an hour or so away from Philly, and that was a beautiful ministry because actually they brought in inner city kids that go to that camp that aren't ever, they have hardly even seen grass, and they get a chance to be able to go there and ride horses and learn all kinds of things and uh, about the Lord, and we got a chance to minister out there as well, which was exciting. We also had a chance to share the gospel, build relationships with the kids at the Salvation Army. Uh, you saw that with a lot of basketball going on there. Uh, we did a lot of our skits as well and testimonies and, and shared the good news of the gospel. You also saw the clothing department. That was a, a great opportunity to be able to organize hundreds of pieces of clothing there uh, to clean up a playground at the Frederick Douglass Christian School. Uh, we also had a chance to prepare and eat a meal for a family of six and to do that for $4, for $4. So we went to the dollar store. We each had $4 for six of us and $4 for the other six of us. And so we had to figure out how we could prepare this meal for $4. And you might ask, why $4? Well, that's basically all the people in that part of Philly would have for dinner is for a family of six, $4. Uh, that just shows some of the poverty that's in that particular area. And so it was good for us to prepare that meal, eat that meal, and be thankful for that meal and realize that's what many of those people deal with on a regular basis as well. And then we, uh, we had numerous opportunities to, to really show love, compassion, and, and mercy to the homeless and to those uh, really addicted to drugs. In fact, uh, one of the areas that we worked in was in the Kensington District, um, and it's considered to be, sadly, one of the worst drug areas in the entire nation. In fact, people come from all over the country to this street, and we saw, we saw tons of people in tents uh, just shooting up drugs on a regular basis, and uh, to see the pain, and to see the hurt, and so many of those people, and to hear from people like Mike, who I talked to for probably 45 minutes, and to hear the pain in his life, how he had lost his mom when he was five, he lost his dad when he was a teenager, and then he just went ballistic and got involved in drugs, and now he's 47 years old, still highly addicted. Every paycheck that he gets from unemployment goes right to drugs, and he desperately wants to get out of it. And so the chance to be able to talk with him and to pray with him and give him a real hug, you know, um, somebody that probably... He's never had a real hug in his life. And to be able to do that for Mike and to know that um, he took my number and texting back and forth. And it's just, uh, it's a special thing. And we had countless stories like that 
Um, and it was, it was amazing, too, because we met so many people that said to us over and over again, you guys should not be here. <laughs> you guys realize you're in the worst part of Philadelphia? And we said, yes, we understand that. But we also said, I believe this is exactly where Jesus Christ would be. Jesus would have his arms open wide right here and would be loving every single one of these people that are hurting, that are homeless, that are downtrodden, that are people just like you and me that unfortunately got addicted and are trying to break free from it, are trying desperately, many of them. And so where would Jesus be? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus think? Where would Jesus be in the midst of all of this? I'm a firm believer that Jesus Christ would be in that particular area of Philadelphia. Too many times as Christians we run, we hide. We always are about safe, 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 safe. The whole country is about safe all the time, and I get that. I understand that. But at the same time, sometimes we need to be just a little bit radical for Christ, and we need to live the way Christ lived. Amen? We need to be willing to do that. And so I was really proud of our team, especially that first day. I texted back to many people and said, please pray, <laughs> because it was so intense that first day. Many of our team that had never seen anything quite like that before were kind of shell-shocked. And, and a lot of tears and everything, but that's where we saw the power of prayer in such a miraculous way, and that created a dependency upon God that many times we just don't see on a regular basis, a real dependency on the living God of the universe, because we know that we know that we cannot be able to do what he's called us to do unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit, and so I was proud of our team for being willing to do that. Um, and also to recognize that we needed to be stretched. And many of you hear me say that a lot, and I'm going to keep on saying it. In fact, some of the people on the team said, Jeff, you've always said we got to be filled up so we can be poured out. And they said, I've heard you say that a ton of times, but now I understand why <laughs> you, you've said that. And that's so true. Because when we are meeting with God on a one-on-one -on -one basis, I mean really truly sitting at his feet, that's when... We're able to pour out and love people unconditionally the way that he would want us to love them. And the bottom line for all of us, if we're going to truly develop this Olympic-sized faith that we're talking about, if we're going to develop it, here's the deal. We have to be willing to be stretched. We've got to be willing to get out of our comfort zones. And those comfort zones even include this area, right? I was really proud. We had 35 people from Foundation Alone that helped last night with Love Norwalk. 35 volunteers from our church, major praise. We had over 700 people that attended the event, and I tell you what, what a great opportunity to be able to love and to serve and share the gospel. We shared it over a microphone, and we shared it doing face painting, right? Doing face painting, and just to see the gospel being preached right there on the main street of Norwalk, Ohio, to close down the street and to be able to share the love of the gospel right there. Whoa, it gave me chills. It gave me chills because this is what God's called us to do. He's called us to be a light in the midst of darkness. And we know there's more darkness than ever before, right? More darkness than ever before. But we can shine. We can shine brighter than ever before. So my hope as we conclude the series that we've been doing, Pastor Brian and I have been doing six weeks on Olympic-sized faith, I hope that you're getting it. I pray that you're getting it. I hope that your faith has grown stronger. One of the best ways that you can grow your faith is to be active in sharing it. 
says that in the book of Philemon. If you want to really grow and mature in your faith, you got to be active and not passive in the things of God. And I think that becomes the problem with so many of us is we walk in passivity instead of really being active for God. When we can be active for God, it stirs us in such a real true way, you guys. It does. So when we look at being stretched, that's what the Apostle Paul was all about. Look at his life. He did it intentionally. He did it unintentionally time and time again. So we're going to look at what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. We have it on the screen as well as you can turn in your Bibles if you would. But this is what it says. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize, right? So as we examine this particular passage of Scripture, first point, you can write this down on your study sheet if you have a study sheet there with the handout. First point is not all runners are going to win the race, <laughs> right? Not all runners are going to win this race. Now, in a culture that promotes that everyone gets a prize, right? Everybody gets a trophy. That's what our culture tries to, to say all the time. This can be difficult for some people to fathom. But in essence, some people do not even make it to the starting blocks of the race because they have no interest in entering the great race. They want to walk entirely their own path in life. Maybe some of you were at one point that way until God began to, to stir you where you said, I'm going to enter this race. I'm going to sign up to be a part of this race. See, Jesus asks us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Few. Sometimes we have that twisted around. We twist the scripture, and we think everybody's going to heaven. All dogs go to heaven. All people go to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. Wait a second. That's not scripture. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many are going to find that. Narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find that. That's Bible. It's not easy to hear, but it's Bible. Jesus beckons us to be among the few who enter into the race. He calls us to the racetrack through the gospel, and there are those who obey the gospel, start the Christian race towards heaven, and they do reach the finish line and they await to be rewarded, rewarded with the crown of life. But sadly, there are many who obey the gospel call at first. They start the race towards heaven, but fail. Fail to win the prize. Drop out of the race. There's more people that have dropped out of the Christian race in the past 16 months than in many, many, many decades before. Grieves my heart. Grieves my soul. To see so many people that have just said they're chucking their faith. Don't be one of them. Please. Don't be one of them. It's easy to begin well. But what about the finish well? What about the finish well? Why is it the case that people don't finish well? What are the factors that lead to success or lead to failure? 
oftentimes we as Christians can fail for the same reasons that athletes fail, really. And the two primary reasons are a lack of purpose and a lack of discipline. If you don't know why you are doing something and then you don't put the time and effort into it, you're going to fail. But if you do put the time and effort into it, you're going to succeed. And I'm not saying that it's all going to be a bed of roses. I'm not saying it's all going to be perfect. Yeah, we're going to fail at times, sure. But overall, we're going to be moving forward because we understand the importance of purpose and we understand the importance of discipline in our lives. That's what the athletes have. That's what we just watched the Olympics, right? Last week, too, all the fall sports, it's cool, all the fall sports and uh, marching bands, they started their camps, didn't they? And a lot of the high school students started doing that. And I know many of the varsity football teams, I think they were going like 7.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. Woo! There we go. Band camp going 8 a.m. to noon for some of the schools. My daughter is doing midi, middle school cross country. Starts at 8.30 and they run about four miles every day over all kinds of hills and terrain. And they're trying to get in shape so that they can uh, make the two and a half miles. I think it is two and a half miles not seem quite as stringent. But what's interesting is that oftentimes we may be willing, right, to do these particular things for a particular sport, right? Even though it could be hard work, self-denial, maybe even grueling preparation. And we may even do it sometimes for our jobs. We may put in that, that extra oomph into our jobs, our careers. But why not for the kingdom of God, right? Why not for the kingdom of God? If we started the race, why not go all out for the Lord then? We can't observe the race from the stands. We can't just jog a few laps for God and said, we're done. We have to train. We got to train. We got to train diligently for God. We know how to do it. We know how to do it, but now it's putting it into practice. When we train diligently through prayer, through Bible study, through worship, and then we can win the race victoriously even when the attacks from the enemy come, right? And boy, they seem to be coming through the crazy pandemic over and over again. The attacks, the arrows are hitting us. But that's why we have to be more connected with the Holy Spirit than ever before. One thing I was telling the team, when the attacks were coming there in Philly, I said, look, we're in spiritual warfare, you guys. This is Ephesians 6 right here that we are living out. And so we got to be more on point than ever before. we got to be more focused than ever before. we got to have our armor on stronger than ever before. Because otherwise, we're just going to get beaten down and be ready to go home. <laughs> and God strengthened. Why? God strengthened because we understood the significance of the spiritual warfare that was going on. We started every day, I told the team, we got to start every day with at least a 45-minute quiet time. So we had 45 minutes alone time with God, just you and God. Then we followed that up with small groups of four where everybody got a chance to be able to talk about the Lord and what the Lord was teaching them. We had discussion questions. And then we prayed together as a collective unit before we hit the ministry sites. All of that was super important because we had to be filled up to pour out again. That's what happens back home. Guys, you've heard me say it a thousand times. You've heard Pastor Brian say it a thousand times. Please, please 
discipline yourselves in the word of God. Please discipline yourselves in prayer and in worship and watch and see how that changes everything in your jobs, in your careers, in your, in your sports, extracurriculars, your schools, whatever. I'm telling you, God has a way of meeting with you and changing your whole perspective. He does. He definitely does. One of our team members who did a great job on the trip, and she saw her faith be stretched into Olympic size, and she's a U.S. Army veteran, and that's Jennifer Philpo, and she's going to come forward right now. Give her a hand, please. Good morning. All right, this trip was my first mission trip since high school, and I loved it. Um, it was both emotionally and physically difficult um, throughout the whole week. We were blessed to have many uh, missions, like Pastor Jeff has said, um, which was good because one day you felt really strong and you loved what you were doing, and the next day you were uh, very stretched and you did not feel as strong. Um, one way that my faith stretched was by having the missions of talking and praying with people. Um, I am a very physical type of work person. I love to help people by doing things that need to be done. I am usually the person who will sit and talk, or I am not usually the person who will sit and talk or pray together, um, but if something, some kind of work needs to be done, just consider it done. Um, the last uh, week stretched me by showing there are many things that my strength and skill alone will not fix. The issues that we saw on the street were beyond our control. There was nothing for us to do. We took our, our food, we talked to people, we prayed with people, but from there it was all up to God. There was nothing physical that we could do for them. That was a very difficult lesson for me to learn. However, watching my group pray and listen to them was honestly showed God's love out there. Um, talking and praying a lot of times is more important than the actual work. My faith also grew over our time together. We were able to have alone time with God, like Pastor Jeff had said, um, by doing devotional and reading. Um, I have heard the phrase many times that um, we have to fill ourselves up to pour out. Um, but this week was the first time that I actually felt that when we got back to the house each day, I was, had poured out every drop that I had. Every day going to the house, I knew that I had poured out, and it was awesome a feeling. It was so, we were so energized in the morning and confident in where we were going. And then by the middle of the job, we were we were done. We, were, we had nothing left. However, we kept going and completed the mission. And then we went back home feeling so drained, and yet we had worship together each evening, and we had fun and talked and enjoyed each other. It did not take very long to know that we were no longer working on our own strength, but it was God's power. A story that I would like to share was our second day there. We were handing out hot pretzels throughout the, the community. I was carrying the box because I would have much rather just carried the box than to actually approach somebody and have to talk to them. So there was one pretzel left in the box that I was carrying, and I was waiting for my other team members to find somebody to hand that to. However, as I was walking, some guy stopped and asked me directly if he could have that pretzel. And so, of course, I said, and I handed the pretzel and then walked away, scared to say anything. He started walking with our group, and his name was Mr. Martinez. He was telling us that, he should, that we should not be in the area, that his wife had passed just over a year ago from a stray bullet. And the group talked to him for quite a while. 
as they were talking, Amy looks at me during the conversation and asks if I would like to pray with him. She knew I was feeling disappointed from the first day for not being bold enough to talk to anyone. Very hesitantly, I agreed and was able to pray with Mr. Martinez in the group. Although I was very nervous, I thank God for the opportunity to share God with others and to be able to pray with them. I came across the verse during this week that I use for strength that I would like to share with you. It's Acts chapter 4, 28 through 31. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Thank you. Great job, Jennifer. Great job. Oh, that leads to our, uh, our next point then that we hit on is that runners win when they have self-discipline. Runners win when they have self-discipline. It's something that we've seen really uh, time and time again in the Olympics, right? Uh, in fact, the most decorated female Olympian ever. Who is it? Anybody know? Allison Felix. That's right. She has shown this kind of discipline over five Olympic Games winning 11 Olympic medals. And now she just won two more in Tokyo as a 35-year-old mother in track and field. Wow. And the great thing about Allison is not only her physical and her mental discipline, but her spiritual discipline as well. She said, quote, I'm currently a work in progress. And like anyone else, I face struggles every day. My goal is to be more Christ-like each and every day, and that is not an easy task. I know that I'm trying to be something different, and after I run, I hope that people can distinguish Christ-like character in the way I present myself. My running is an amazing gift from God, and I want to use it to the best of my ability to glorify Him. Wow. What a, what a role model for uh, young girls to look up to. Not just because of her sports ability, but because of her spiritual discipline that she has. It's an inspiring testimony in many ways. And it gets me thinking about self-discipline. When you looked at that scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it talked all about strict training, right? Strict training, the self-discipline. And today, more than ever, we have a lack of self-discipline and especially spiritual discipline in our society and sometimes it revolves around maybe not looking honestly at our lives, not looking honestly at our strengths or weaknesses and evaluating how we are really using our time. I think if we're honest, many of us just want to keep kind of feeding the flesh, feeding our flesh instead of feeding the spirit. We keep trying to come up with more and more ways to entertain ourselves, but it only leads to more and more emptiness. If we truly want self-discipline, we have to allow the Holy Spirit full control to combat our appetites, right? To combat the appetites that scream, yes, 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 yes. I need, I need, I need. That's what the appetites will say. Not just food, but the appetites for so many other things as well. So that when we have real self-discipline, though, we can say no. 
You know, the old campaign years ago when I was growing up, just say no to drugs, right? That was the campaign that was there. But we can say no when we have the self-discipline, the self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. That's talked about in the Galatians chapter 5, verses 22, 23. And when we have that self-control and that self-discipline, then we can say no to friends or situations that lead us away from Christ. We can say no to alcohol and drugs that only give us a false high instead of the real joy of the Holy Spirit. We can say no to gluttony that actually leaves us feeling even more empty. And we can say no to laziness and idleness that leads in many times to more depression and anxiety. Instead, we can enjoy the fulfillment of knowing. Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In Colossians 1.29, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works within me. That it's all about Christ then that gives us that strength, that gives us that energy. Yes, we are facing uncertain times. Yes, we're facing some tough stuff. Me, just like all of you. But praise God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can face all of that. And that we can win. And that we can win. So let's not dismiss self-discipline. Instead, let us embrace it with God's strength. And recognize that real self-discipline can be a long, steady course. In learning attitudes that do not come naturally. And then moving natural appetites towards God's purposes. Moving those natural appetites towards God's purposes instead. And there are especially three areas in particular that we can exercise the self-discipline in order to bring that maximum glory to God. First is the discipline of our mind, right? We cannot, we should not let our minds wander all over the place. And looking at all kinds of things that just create anxiousness and frustration i was telling my wife the other day i made the mistake i got on facebook for five minutes before bed it created so much anxiety within me i couldn't fall asleep till three in the morning <laughs> i was like there was so much oh, of all of the oh all the stuff you know what it is it just it created so much and i'm an emotional person so it really makes it hard when you see all of it and it hurts it grieves my soul. We have to guard against what we put into our minds, you guys. We need to be putting this book into our minds over and over and over again. Not all of the other stuff that just constantly bombards us. The discipline of our mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Check it out. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take thought, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, right? Obedient. Where we train our minds for Christ. We ask ourselves, what attitude would Jesus have towards this situation or this person? What attitude would he have? What would Jesus' point of view be on some issue? That's based on scripture. What is his view? What reasoning would Jesus use in a particular circumstance to arrive at some type of conclusion or judgment? And in order to answer any of these questions, the bottom line is we have to know Jesus. I mean, really, truly know him in such an intimate way. I don't think we do sometimes. I don't think I do sometimes. We know a lot about Jesus. 
We know a lot of information. We've heard the story, some of us, since we were kids. Have we really sat at Jesus' feet? Have we really let him speak to our hearts as we opened up his word? That becomes the question. We cultivate our time with him and allow him to be far, far greater than anything that this world tries to offer. In essence, we must put Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 into practice where we let the word of Christ dwell within us richly. And then what begins to happen is Philippians chapter 2, where our attitudes become the same as that of Christ Jesus. I've read that passage 50 times. And I always used to think, how could my attitude ever be the same as that of Christ Jesus? It can't unless I know Jesus in a real true way. Unless I'm really connected with him. Unless I'm really spending time with him. That is what's going to change our attitude. Not just saying attitude check, attitude check. Okay, that's good, that's fine. But what about meeting with Jesus and letting him be the one that checks our attitudes? The second discipline is the discipline of our appetites, right? Appetites are not just food. It's anything that we hunger for apart from God. It could be money, sex, power, control, material items, popularity, or self-righteousness. We have to control these appetites so they do not take precedence over Christ. All these worldly things serve, they pamper, and they indulge ourselves. Whereas Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, that he beats his body to make it a slave for Christ. Now, obviously, he's not punching himself or beating himself up. But what he is doing, he's denying himself a lot of the worldly thoughts, the worldly ideas, the worldly things in order that he could be more fully devoted to Jesus Christ. So that he could be a fully devoted follower of Christ and messenger for Christ. So then what do we need to deny ourselves so that we can be more effective for Christ, that we can serve him more effectively? Is there a certain appetite that prevents us from being 100% devoted? Maybe it's even a good thing, but it's not the best thing. Sometimes it could be something that really is just draining our time Instead of enhancing our time, right? Whatever it is, we have to surrender it. You guys know it. As I'm saying it right now, you know what it is. You know it. Surrender it. Don't keep holding on. We want to have an Olympic-sized faith. we got to let it go so that we can be all that God's planned for us. Not our plans. What has he planned for you with that Olympic faith? Interesting, one of the greatest Olympians of all time. He did this physically, right? Everybody knows that guy. Come on. Michael Phelps, right? 28 medals, five Olympics. You know how much he trained? You talk about training, you guys. Five to six hours a day, six days a week, swimming about 50 miles per week. Dedication to the max. So spiritually, how can we train ourselves to go for the gold like a Michael Phelps? I'm not saying that you got to read the Bible five to six hours a day. Unless you want to, that'd be great, okay? But maybe it's at least bumping it up to 20, 30 minutes, okay? Maybe it's, it's learning how to really pray more than just a rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, go God. I'm talking about really praying. Well, we're praying fervently, passionately for God to show up and move mountains. He wants to do that. He does. Or maybe it's learning to worship, sometimes the best thing, worshiping in music. 
These are all basics that we always have to get back to. When you do that, you'll be amazed, though, how God begins to increase your faith. He does. Amy Nolan's going to come forward now. She's going to share for a couple minutes about how God increased her faith on the trip as well. Hello. So anyone that knows me knows that I like things organized. So my card's like color-coded in case I lose my spot. Um, but I don't know that I'm actually going to say that. Um, so I've been a nurse for 20 years. Um, nurses need to know what's going on, uh, anticipate outcomes. Uh, when you go on a mission trip, it's not like that. So that took me out of my comfort zone right away. Um, I like to know what I'm having to eat, even if I go to family gatherings. Uh, and even that, we didn't always know right away. Um, but Acts 1-8 says uh, that the Holy Spirit's in us and we need to be witnesses, not just here with our families, uh, not just where you work, but all over. And one of the things that I learned that, that stretched me is there's opportunities everywhere that you're at. Um, they aren't planned. You have to be ready. And like Pastor had said, prayer makes a big difference. So I don't typically spend a lot of time in my Bible prior to uh, starting this experience. Um, I always had other things to do, laundry needs done, um, whatever, everything just needs done. And so um, I found that with this and, and the requirements of the trip was spending more time in your Bible. Um, and it was funny because as you would get into the word, whatever, whatever you were reading that day was pertinent to what was going on. God works in mysterious ways, uh, even on the trip. Um, it was like that. So uh, typically prior to this, I would go to like Cleveland for Renew or I would help with an outreach that we had here. My husband, though, he would go to Africa. <laughs> That's a big difference. Um, he would go to Mexico and he would say how great it was. And I'm like, oh, okay, I was home with the kids. Um, it, it was great here too with everything we had going on. But how could he use me? We weren't going on a, on a medical trip. We were going to serve. And initially, we were going to do some camps with kids. I'm good with kids. I'm OK with that. That changed the week before. And I'm like, oh, that's not good for me. <laughs> I like to know what's going on. So I prayed about it. And I'm like, I'll still go. He's got a use for me. Uh, I was ready to see. I'm naturally a calm person in the midst of chaos. That's a good attribute for a nurse. Um, and so I, I felt like that was, that was part of my, my place on the team was doing that. But God is a faithful God. We did tasks that could seem mundane. We folded clothes and sorted them, you know. But in that, we were praying for the people that were going to hand out the clothes and the people that were going to get the clothes. So even in those mundane things, handing out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, um, pulling weeds, not my favorite thing <laughs> at all and we spent five hours doing it. Um, but even in doing that, you're praying for the kids that are gonna play on that playground. You're praying for the people you're with that they can continue to serve the way that we wanna serve. God is faithful in all of that. So we fed the hungry, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and soft pretzels, but we prayed with them and we made a difference. Uh, we prayed with Amanda, she was a, um, a drug addict and a homeless individual in Kensington. But she was the caregiver for all those around her. So we prayed for her for strength. 
that she could continue to help those around her. And then there was a little girl at Salvation Army. Her name is Marissaville. And um, when we first got there, she was sitting kind of off to the side, and, and she wasn't really engaged in our skits, and she was by herself. Um, you know, Josh, as we were doing the skits, went through and tried to get her to smack his hand, and she wouldn't. Um, what I ended up finding later is we're out on the basketball courts and we're playing tag and different things. And what she said, uh, she came over to me and came right up to me and we were talking. And I said, oh, can I pray for you? That is not my strong suit. My husband can pray with anyone, anytime, and he sounds great. I fumble. And she said, yes, please. And I'm like, oh, okay, God, I'll do this. Um, she has trouble in school, so I prayed with her in that. What I didn't know was that each of us were planting seeds along the way. Josh had reached out to her. Andrea had spent time with her prior to that, and at that time she wasn't ready to pray. So just like Matthew says, you know, we're planting mustard seeds that can grow into something else. We did that as a team, and each of you can do the same. You just need to look for the opportunities and take them. Great job, Amy. Great job. We come to the last part of our spiritual disciplines, and that is disciplining our priorities. Paul talks about not running around aimlessly, beating or boxing the air in verse 26, but instead training himself so that he would not be disqualified for the prize. I don't know about you guys. I remember when boxing was one of the king's sports in the United States. Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, and of course, being in Philly, I thought of Rocky Balboa. Oh, yeah. To me, he was like a real boxer. But uh, anyway, we got to run the Rocky steps, and I said, i got to run them twice this year. So I ran them twice. I wanted to do three times, but we had other stuff. But I just wanted to say, yo, Amy, I did it. I did it. But it was, it was always fun to be able to, to be a part of, of that. But it's amazing how much energy and stamina it takes to box, if you think about this. If you've ever boxed, we have a former professional boxer right here in the front row. You can talk to him, Todd Tanzillo. He'll tell you all about it. But it takes a lot of energy, doesn't it, Todd? Holy mackerel. You, and if you're aimlessly punching, you're going to get beat quickly, okay? you got to have a strategy in order to beat the opponent. Likewise, we needed a strategy to win in the Olympics of life. Way too many of us haphazardly do things that in all reality don't have any spiritual significance. It's beating the air. We're like shadow boxing with Mike Tyson. And then he comes in with one punch and bam, just knocks us out. And we think, how in the world did that just happen? Because we were beating aimlessly. We didn't know why we were doing what we were doing. We we're just getting up every morning and just doing things without consulting God and seeing where God wanted us to be and what God wanted us to do for the day. And some of us, maybe we, we get knocked down, but we get back up, and that's awesome. That's awesome. Maybe we, we don't get the full 10 count. We get back up. But then we have to use the Bible as our strategy where we prioritize our lives so that we could be on the offense with the enemy, right? We could be on the offense with the enemy. And we could also still have our spiritual armor on, like it says in Ephesians chapter 6. So then we're able to punch the enemy in the chops because we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers of the word. The enemy has gained way too much ground in the last 16, 17 months throughout this world. We need to be on the offense. And the way that you're on the offense is you're loving unconditionally. You're serving radically. You're sharing the gospel 
wholeheartedly. That's what's going to defeat the enemy. More than politics, more than any of that stuff, it's those parts of the Bible that's going to defeat the enemy. It's living the word in a genuine way that people can't help but see Christ in us. That people can't help but see Christ in us. That's what we saw last night with Love Norwalk. That's what made it so, I had goosebumps. I had goosebumps watching the teen boys that are in the back there serving for a couple of hours, going, passing out hundreds of bottles of water. It gave me goosebumps. See teen, teenage boys stepping up for Christ, you know. The churches, 12 churches uniting in love to reach a divided world. Unity is what's going to reach a divided world. The church uniting in love. And when we do that, people can honestly say that they know that we are Christians by our love, right? There hasn't been a lot of love going on. We got to be different. We got to be better. We always want to be better in performance stuff. We got to be better in the heart. We got to be better as believers in Jesus Christ. We're loving each other better, not ridiculing, not tearing one another down, encouraging each other. We can't disqualify ourselves by living contrary to the gospel. Otherwise, it'd be like Ben Johnson, 1996 Olympics, won the gold medal. Everybody in Canada is going crazy. I was watching it with a Canadian pastor. He was going nuts. He was jumping on tables in CeCe's restaurant in Atlanta. I'll never forget it. Canada had won the gold in the 100 meters, and then boom, disqualified steroids. Sometimes that happens with us as Christians. If we're living our lives contrary to the gospel, then we are disqualifying ourselves. We have to remember that people are constantly watching us to see if we are really living out what we say that we believe. And that goes for what we speak, what we write, what we text, what we Facebook. God wants us to be above reproach so that we do not damage our testimony. Instead, we build it. We build our testimony up by even greater acts of love and kindness and servanthood. That's how we build our testimony up. Brings us to the life lesson. To have Olympic-sized faith, we got to develop Olympic-sized discipline, you guys. My hope, my prayer for all of us is that we would learn to be more disciplined. You look at the word disciples. They were disciplined. They were with Jesus. We can be more disciplined when it comes to the Lord. And watch and see the difference that he'll make. Okay? Don't look at Christianity as a clock in, clock out thing. It's not. It's wholeheartedly denying ourselves, picking up our cross, following him day by day by day. And he gives us the power to do it. Not the flesh, but his spirit. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for this great day. Lord, thank you for each and every person here today. Lord, thank you that you desire for us to have Olympic-sized faith. And Lord, sometimes we fail. Sometimes we, we blow it. But God, we're so thankful that you give us strength each day to be able to grow in our walk with you. And that you love us and you forgive us and you cleanse us and you desire for us to be more and more connected with you. And so God, I do pray that you'd help each of us throughout this week to be more in tune with you than ever before. Lord, may we be disciples of you. May we be disciplined for you throughout this week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.